0: Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergie, And
1: I'm, Sh- what am I, Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm very excited to welcome, as always, an esteemed guest whose name I remember better than my own, apparently, <laughs> uh, Joy Lou from the Financial Gym. Hi, Joy. everyone.
0: <laughs> Hi, excited George. to be here. We're excited to so- have you.
1: Yeah. So Joy, to get started and to just put you in the uh, millennial spectrum, if you could just give us um, kind of where you're from, where you live now, what year you were born and all that jazz. Give us your elevator sure. speech.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, my name's Joy. I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma um, and then I went to college in the Northeast and um, Got my dream job in advertising right after college in New York City. I worked for a big agency um, and then transitioned into startup world and working in financial um, working in financial wellness. Um, I am 27. Um, so firmly in the millennial camp and <laughs> proud of it.
1: love it. Love it. That's so awesome. I feel like this is a very apropos guest to have this week because I know I just did my taxes. I feel like Maddie probably oh. did
0: hers very early. No, I hired a CPA to do mine. Jim, oh, wow. he's working on it. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Good old Jim. <laughs> hey, Jim. Thanks for listening. Um, maybe we could maybe as a transition that could be my millennial moment because the reason why I hired a CPA is because I got audited by the IRS. And so Mm. I do not trust myself to do them again, even though I am an accountant. (laughs) Not a CPA. I do not have my CPA, though. um, Well,
2: my mom still does my taxes, so that's probably an appropriate millennial moment for me, too. Is she a CPA or
0: is she just good at them?
2: She is not. She is, um, you know, I grew up in a Chinese restaurant. My mom owns a restaurant in Oklahoma and um, flips houses on the side. Wow. Very cool. Um, So she's always been very savvy. So
1: she always finds me a great return. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is it bad if I say your mom, the mental image I'm getting is the mom from Crazy Rich Asians, not Nick's mom, but Rachel's mom, who like, it's like the same story. She had a Chinese restaurant and then she's a realtor and sells homes. Yeah, I
2: mean it's it's common interest for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. I have yet to it.
0: see Crazy Rich Asians, so oh, it's so good. Oh, you I need yeah, to. It's on my list. I'm actually going on a plane this weekend, so.
1: And It'll, know be it's
0: yeah. It'll be an option. Yeah. That's great.
1: Um, so I'm just going to, in keeping with the millennial moment yeah. taxes theme, um, <laughs> mine is definitely that. I mean, I feel like it's such a millennial thing to say, like, why didn't they teach how to do your taxes in high school? And, um, I think that's very true, but so I was, I also have a CPA who does mine, but she also happens to be my cousin and <laughs> former guest of the pod, uh, Kristen, and uh, she was doing them, and this is like the first year I've had to file my taxes as an entrepreneur, and there's just so much shit out there that you can get fined for that I wouldn't even
0: Yeah, have it's paying the whatever yeah. fee. Yeah,
1: and then like, so I had this weird thing where I hired a couple vendors, and I didn't 1099 them so i was gonna get like a, this ridiculous fine and then what was the craziest thing about it is i was like okay whatever it's my first year it's cost doing business i'll just pay the fine and chris was like oh yeah no you can't just pay the fine it's like a fine every year indefinitely until you reach whatever the limit is on the fine and i was like why, why can't i just pay it and move on <laughs> um, and then of course and you also even... don't
0: want to be on the irs's radar because then they'll audit you well,
1: yeah. But also, then we found like this crazy loophole that because I paid with one of these vendors with PayPal and the other one with a credit slash debit card, I actually didn't have to 1099 them. So now I'm not getting
0: Uh-oh. fined. Well, so, that's very confusing. I know. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Joy, do you have a millennial moment to share with the group? Does uh, not have to be tax related. <laughs> yeah, not sp- well,
2: I was thinking about this a lot and I guess I feel like my entire existence is a millennial moment.
0: That's awesome. <laughs>
2: um, but I think something recent just like talking about um, you know, working for uh working for a small business. I feel like that's a nice way for me to get my entrepreneurial um what is it? I have that bug, so I get to experience that without having to deal with the ramifications of ten ninety nines and things like that. Um, but I do have to, I do have to manage people for the first time in my life, um, and sometimes people who are older than me are like in different generations. So I've been thinking about that a lot. Of like, that's this must be interesting for everybody involved <laughs> for me yeah. to be their manager. Um,
1: but. And how do you find that that's usually received? Like, is it more that you're feeling uncomfortable or that they're just acting a little I think off? I'm
2: feeling uncomfortable just because I feel like I consume so much content about generations to where I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a thing that gets talked about. So this yeah. must be a weird thing.
0: Um, yeah, you might but be I more aware of it. it.
2: <laughs> I just have to fake it till I make it. So uh, um, overall, it's been good, but it's just it's an overall awareness, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah sure. I was reading a har- I'm maybe you have read it if you've consumed the content, but there's a really good Harvard Business Review article and um I'll have to pull it up and I think it's actually worth maybe in a future episode, Shay, doing a deeper dive on it, but it goes mm-hmm. through kind of the cycles of generations mm. and I can't remember the exact words, but it's like there's four different types of generations and they've mapped it back to like the 1600s, like since Oh wow. pre America even, and there's only been one time in, like, the 1800s that it hasn't followed this cycle where it's, like, I think it's hero, savior, artist, and then... There's one more that I can't remember, but they go through, like, a cycle. And oh, they that's think, so cool. Yeah. I'll post it. I'm doing a really Wait, so job. does that mean that Gen Zs are <clears throat> the new heroes? No. Well, we're millennials, are heroes. Millennials. all always... uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The article's a few years old, and they didn't include Gen Z on it, but I think Gen Z yeah. is primed to be an artist generation. I love more that. Like a... I can see that. Yeah. 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 So and our hero stuff comes in, like, with climate change... We've been set up, maybe a little bit to like have to clean up a mess from before. Mm-hmm. Um, and boomers, I think, are saviors. Like they try the the savior hero thing is really interesting, especially because most millennials were raised by boomers. Mm-hmm. Where sa- someone who has like a savior complex, like, usually thinks that they're doing a really good job. I'm like totally paraphrasing this article, but they think that they're doing. They see a problem and they're like, "I have to be the one to save it." And then the hero generation is the one that actually saves it from being raised by the savior generation. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes hand in hand. And then whatever Gen X was, the one that I can't remember, they raise the artist generation, and those two kind of go hand in hand. So I, there's a lot of really interesting psychological research about about it. I love that stuff. It's mm-hmm. so cool. very cool. So, Shay, do you have a toasty campfire hot topic for the group? I
1: do. I, like forgot about this section but luckily I was so well prepared for our uh solo so that we did last week in which we didn't do a hot topic I was able to just pull one out of that hat great um and I was wondering if either of you guys had seen the article I mean it's all over the place but um I think most recently it was written about in the Atlantic where it says when kids realize their whole life is already
0: online yes this was and not they, one that I was going to do this week but it, I have read about this oh, so I'm very interested awesome
1: Yeah, so I just thought it was really interesting because it kind of talks about how these kids who are quite young, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, suddenly realize that their parents have been um, posting about them online and they're very, like, uh, taken aback. Um, The parents have posted about them without their permission. And it goes beyond so much, you know, there were a few people they interviewed in that particular article who were, you know, parenting bloggers, et cetera. And they were like, yeah, this is a real problem because this is my job. But then they were just like everyday moms and dads who were like, well, yeah, I just post about the kids, you know, it's just a thing that I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's interesting. I think I think about this a lot, um, you know, having two little guys in my life and we don't post about them on social media. That's kind of just our family rule. Um, Sometimes I'll make like a peripheral comment, like I'll show a drawing that they did or like, you know, a foot or something, but like, I don't really post about kids. And I don't judge other people that do. That was just like the right choice for us. Um, I love personally, like it's been such a blessing to me, you know, um, being able to see my friends, kids on Facebook and on Instagram, especially because I live so far away from so many of them. Um, so I'm like more power to you if you do post, but I guess my question is like, what kind of long lasting, damage if any do we think this does to kids when they realize they don't have control over their public uh kind of persona oh and the other interesting thing that it wasn't just about like pictures on social media it was also like this one girl googled Googled herself and she's like up came all of my like swim meet results from when I was just because like the why or whatever keeps Mm -hmm. them in an online forum she's like all my swim meets from when I was like six years old and she's like (laughs) I forget she either said like I'm not into swimming anymore, or like I'm so much better at swimming or something than I used to be, and like it's embarrassing to like see that that's out there. So um well, if that's the yeah. worst thing
0: about you, that's on Google. No, I think I know. It's definitely I. I also had similar feelings about that article. I thought it's truly fascinating and a really millennial topic, since a lot of millennials are just now getting into being parents. I think the article kind of focus on maybe like gen X parents who are a little bit younger, but now I think millennials are going to have to make the same decisions that you and David made about do we post about our kids yeah. and especially people that are a little bit more public. Like I know when we um, interviewed Cassie a few episodes ago, like she has also like, she's very public and doesn't really post about her kids for safety reasons and all sorts of stuff. So it's definitely something that you have to think about. Um, But I think it just kind of highlights, like you asked Shay, like what is the ramifications of this? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's mostly just between like the parent and the kid. And I would think that like, if I was a parent And I know there's, like, the really famous example of, like, the mommy blogger who, like, her kid was like, please stop. And she was like, no. yeah Um, Yeah. But it's, like, you have to think about the psychological ramifications of not treating your kid as, like, a sentient being. Or, like, oh, you live in my house. You're going to do whatever I say. Um, And I wonder that because I, too, have, like, people on my Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're posting a lot of content about your kids. And, like, they have no idea. Um, There's definitely a fine line there. But I think if you're, like kid is old enough like 10, 11, 12, 13 and they come to you and they're like, "Hey, please stop like doing this." And you you have to don't stop, then you're just going to set up yourself for having a bad relationship with your kid over something that's like very silly. Well, I think honestly and all of these things are very
1: true and it's again something I think about and I wonder if it'll be different when it's, you know, If It's a baby that I've actually birthed. If I'm going to care less or care more, I don't really know. I'll probably care less, actually, which is interesting. (laughs) Uh, But the whole thing that was most disturbing to me about the article was that what the kids were worried about at 9, years old, they were worried about their online image because they wanted to curate a more perfect image of themselves online. And to me, that was really problematic because i'm like why are they concerned about that like it's that artist generation exactly (laughs) see there we go joy i really hope i'm not (laughs) butchering
0: this harvard business review article (laughs) made up a bunch of shit (laughs) so yeah no it makes sense right yeah i think yeah i don't know i think it's um it's just one of those things like i think it's also, like the narrative aspect, right? Like, there's some families online where it's like, I feel like I know literally every day, like every activity, every weekend, what your kids are doing, like mm-hmm. where you guys go. Not only is that unsafe, like, you shouldn't be posting that much information, yeah. even if you are an adult, about where your whereabouts are and when your home is vacant, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's fine. Like, if I was thinking about my own kids, like, I I would definitely feel free to, like, post family photos and, like, share their image up until... the the... girl who refuses to be in her family Christmas card. I just Um, want to point that out Well, that's because I think Christmas cards are a waste of money and they're bad for the environment and they cause literally a (laughs) moment of joy and then get thrown away. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being cynical. Kind of. I'm, like, 80% serious. Um, But yeah i'm fine with like if we wanted to do an e christmas card totally fine um but yeah i think it's i think it's just the moment when the kids are like trying to take control of themselves and you push back as the parent and want to like either as a control thing like you as the parent want to be in control and it's like your kids are not that interesting anyways i don't know yeah i have many opinions what about you joy do you have any strong opinions on this topic
2: I don't know. I remember, um, I remember meeting somebody and they had mentioned that they chose to not post any pictures of their kids online, like very intentionally. And I had never thought about it before because I don't have kids yet. Um, And it brought up that whole, that whole question of like, oh, that's an interesting choice. And like, makes sense, like why you would choose that. And, um, I, feel like that's going to be such a unique problem for that generation to deal with because I have no idea what I would even feel about it if I were nine right now and already had pictures of me on the internet I don't know (laughs) Um, I think like if we thought like the most um, most extreme or like some some sort of parallel it might be thinking about like child stars like from when we were growing up and Mm -hmm. how like a lot of their parents kind of manicured and like managed their their career and we can see some like ugly side effects to that and being in the public eye so I guess it it just be it just depend on how much exposure they really had as kids that were out of their control.
0: Yeah I think it's like people just don't it's the same way like it's there was this woman I was talking to another friend about it not to take this into like a dark place but I think this is like a a, a small subset of like what could be a larger problem like I think it's just it's the feeling that you're not in charge of your own life right Mm -hmm. and like there's this it's the woman that wrote maybe we've talked about it before this woman that wrote um Prozac Nation the book Mm -hmm. she wrote another follow-up memoir about how she went through her whole life her father who she knew her whole life was her father he died and then after he died she realized her mom's best male friend was actually her father and he had also Mm. passed away and so her whole like 40 years of life her father that she knew as her father was not really her father and he featured really prominently in prozac nation and stuff and like she wrote a whole book about how it seems like such a minor thing but it like truly fucked her up Mm -hmm. and you know i think this picture thing is it's a very small thing but you realize like oh wow like i'm going through my life as a 12 year old and my life is not what it seems in this small way like it it does have these ramifications i think awesome Um,
1: all right um maddie do you have a campfire topic yeah
0: mine's not as in depth but i thought because i was you know as a prelude to the um interview portion that we will do later thinking about like finance stuff but I, I saw an article in passing on BuzzFeed about these stories that are becoming more popular about um you know, kind of in the zeitgeist about financial crime and like all these scams like the Fire Festival, um mm. the Theranos woman, Elizabeth Holmes. There's a really good podcast um that I've been listening to about her story called The Dropout and obviously John Carrier's. I don't even book, know Black about
1: one. wait, what is her oh. story?
0: You're going to go on an internet deep dive once I tell you. <laughs> oh, great. Can't wait. Do you know Ready. Who, who this is, Joy? No. Elizabeth Holmes? No. Okay. She started – I recommend the podcast because it's very easily digestible, but if you want to go on the deeper dive, there's a book, bestseller, called Bad Blood, and it reads like a crime, crime novel. It's great, but it's a true story. This blonde, beautiful, young woman, she started this company, Theranos, that was supposed to revolutionize how people draw blood. We've all been to the doctor, and you have to give, oh, like okay. – A huge amount of blood in order to sample it. And she had started this company that claimed that they could do all of these tests without... It would basically... A phlebotomist would not need to be a job anymore, basically. And you could just go into a Walgreens, pick your finger, and you would know if you had herpes or if you had any sort of disease that you would normally need to take a blood test. The technology did not exist. It was completely fraudulent. And they raised so much money. General Mattis was on the board of their company, like, all these really high-profile people. And she's, like, definitely a corporate sociopath. Like, she's not a good person. Um, And she was, like, having an affair with another guy who, like, worked at the company. So there's all this stuff. But they propagated this fraud for, like, many years. And like turns out the technology just didn't exist and it actually existed in Walgreens stores for a period of time and oh, wow. they tested it on like dying cancer patients know- knowing that it didn't work and giving people all this false hope. So anyways, that's been like I think Jennifer Lawrence signed on to play her in a movie. I read recently too, so Anything. look out for that. Um but yeah, so like the Fire Festival, which we're familiar with that, there's been like a couple Other ones, I find them very fascinating. Um, And I think this sort of like millennial, they called her in the article, Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos woman, the millennial Mm -hmm. Bernie Madoff. Oh, my God. So like, he's kind of the baby boomer ideal of like what a con man looks like. But the millennial con men and women are much more savvy. They're using technology and um, social media to kind of propagate these cons. But at the end of the day, like, they're just con people. Not Did she control. have any
2: intention of developing the technology, or or it was all just a scam?
0: Yeah, so they had, like, a scientist and, like, a lab um, through Stanford, I think, but basically they had no one kind of with, like, an advanced medical degree there, and people were kind of, like, doing this research, and they kept coming back to, like, it's it's not working right now, like, we need more time. Mm -hmm. and she's intentionally separated like the medical research people from the like marketing people and so like the people that were working on the technology didn't necessarily know that she was putting it to market and the people that were helping her launch it didn't know that it didn't work that's Uh. the claims in a Mm -hmm. nutshell um so yeah you can that's the the thought that's my thought that she knew all along that it was never gonna work and just kind of put it out of her mind and tried to sell the product anyways, but there were people at a certain point in the past that, like, believed that it was possible, but then obviously through medical and scientific research realized with what's available today, it was never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think
2: think a lot of, you know, raising money for, like, startups and venture capital um, is a lot of, like, selling people an idea, at least in the beginning, Mm -hmm. Um and like your ability to sell that idea with the idea of like, if there's more money, then like we can actually make this thing happen. Um, but to a certain degree, um,
1: that becomes you know, way too much, right? Yeah, so interesting. Well, and I think what's really interesting is about people like this, you always kind of wonder, like if they if she had landed on an idea that was feasible, would she now be lauded as oh, one of she the would great be, business like, geniuses of our generation? She would be Probably. richer than Steve Jobs.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. Th- they talk about that in the podcast. Like, she, this technology, if it had existed, would have every hospital in the country, every drugstore, every person would like want this product mm-hmm. and would buy it. And like, and I, th- what I found interesting about it too, because you think like, oh, how many people down the line had to like say yes to this and they interviewed the people at Walgreens and they asked a lot of tough questions and kind of got the runaround but they were like oh she seemed so trustworthy and like all the they had all these investors and we figured the investors had done the due diligence so like we saw the red flags but we didn't really think about it it's like you just put all this trust into people that are putting trust and Mm -hmm. there's nothing there like no one had ever seen the product work or even had a prototype of it or anything and Walgreens put it in the store with not even any information. It's crazy. Um, so anyways, that's my hot topic. <laughs> okay. All right. Joy, Joy do you have a
1: campfire topic? Um, well, I
2: was seeing, um, I guess Bankrate did this study in the, trying to keep it in the financial theme, um, and millennials, uh, apparently, What is it? Apparently two thirds of millennial homeowners regret their purchase of buying Mm -hmm. a home, which I thought was interesting because there's a lot of, you know, that's such a, that's such a part of the American dream. And I think there's so many headlines, like buzzy headlines about like more millennials are buying homes finally and like single women Mm -hmm. and all these great things about it. Um, But what we see uh, or what I see when I'm Coaching clients is just all of the ghost expenses that come with owning a house. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> for me, I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> um, and we've seen so many bad, we've seen so many like unfortunate circumstances when it comes to homeownership at mm-hmm. the gym to where we all feel like it's kind of a racket. Um, so, it's interesting seeing that that's finally a headline or like someone's actually talking about it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I think that. it's it's definitely, um, it's interesting because it's like from the headline, you're like, oh, like, why would anyone regret buying their home? But then it's like, to your point, yes, like there are a lot of hidden fees. And so if you buy a house when you're like, just able to make the down payment and nothing else, that's not good. Like, you need more yeah. money than you think you need in order to own. Yeah.
1: I also feel like I wish I'd been a renter. I mean, I did rent many years ago for like, two years in Cleveland, but that's like a whole other thing. But like, I wish I'd been a renter somewhere else besides New York city, because I feel like my main issue with renting was always that I felt like the landlord, and this is a somewhat uniquely distinct New York city problem is that I really felt like the landlord at any time and they did could come and pull the rug out from under me. And, you know, all of a sudden I am out on the street you know, or I have to pay double what I was already paying, and I think you know, that's again a unique phenomenon um so, I don't know, I wonder what it's like in other parts of the country
0: yeah, cause I, I mean I don't own it, Chase Bank owns it, um, my apartment but Mm -hmm. definitely like at the tax bracket I'm in, like the tax breaks are phenomenal on mortgage interest, Mm -hmm. and you don't you feel as long as the property value doesn't go down as much that you're not, like, pissing away, like, a $100,000 just paying in rent. Especially in, in New well, York, I am as well. Yeah. So those, I think, when, are benefits.
1: When, Maddie, when you were buying your apartment, I was like, what an idiot I am. If I had just <laughs> bought a fucking apartment, excuse my language, seven years ago when I moved here, yeah. I would have been, like, sitting pretty. Because, But you don't even... Realize when you move to a place like New York, you just assume that buying is so far out of your reach. Like I yeah. didn't even know you could get. I mean, it's not reasonable necessarily compared to other parts of the country, but you know, there were certainly were a lot more options. Yeah, it's than definitely I less knew. than
0: what you think. And I, I mean, my apartment's very small. So like to your point, Joy, like the the upkeep of the apartment is very small because it's literally just like if I have a plumbing issue, I have to pay for that. But like I don't have to pay if the roof is bad or like anything that's outside the four walls of the apartment is paid for by the co-op fees. Um, so like I don't have as much of that like upkeep that maybe the millennials that regret buying their houses have. So I understand that. So you know, there are definitely nuances, but I think the tax breaks, if that's open to you makes it attractive. And if you're in a super high rent place, And you know you're going to have to pay co-op fees and a mortgage anyways. And it'll come out to be around what you would pay in rent. Like, that to me is a no-brainer. Obviously, that's not open to everyone, for sure. You have to have the money for a down payment. But those overhead costs are a lot less in New York than if you had, like, a huge farmhouse in, you know, the middle of the country that you had to upkeep or something like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, probably where most people – and I think you – like there's a unique advantage for buying in New York because um, because it is more expensive, like that down payment is pretty high co- like high barrier to entry. Um, but probably in other parts of the country, like I, I relocated to North Carolina and um, in a military community. So um, lots of people have access to VA loans, so they don't even need a down payment <laughs> um, yeah. or uh, or doing an FHA with less. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in the diligence to save up a large down payment to then be able and be prepared for any unexpected costs and maintenance that come with home ownership afterwards. Yeah. So that's probably where some people got caught up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I love that.
0: Well, I think that's a good um, transition.
1: Awesome. Let's transition right into our interview with Joy. So Joy, I'd love you to start by just telling us a little bit about your job and also about the financial gym. Sure. which by the way was brought to our attention by wonderful guest of the pod Lily Womble
2: oh yes we love Lily um, she's been around the gym a lot lately doing um, doing her workshops and yeah. utilizing her space so um, well my name um, I am a certified financial trainer at the financial gym so um, it, the financial gym kind of sounds like what it is. It is what it sounds like. So um, we uh, we offer one-on-one financial training for people to get financially fit. So um, just like you would pay a monthly membership fee to attend your regular gym, um, we charge a monthly membership um, subscription, and you get access to a personal financial trainer um, that takes a look at your individual personal, you know, individual financial circumstance um, and looks at your goals and puts together a custom plan uh, to help you get to those goals and holds you accountable along the way.
1: I love that. That's so cool. So, Maddie, I don't know.
0: Yeah. What is your first question? I have some hard-hitting ones, but maybe you want to dive in a little more easily. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely such a great service, and Lily has sung the praises, and I'm just wondering how how does one become a financial trainer and how did you kind of find the financial gym in order to work there like what's your journey to come to the place where you are now
2: Yeah well uh, like I mentioned um in my intro I started my career working in advertising um I studied advertising in college and landed the job at the big agency and thought um thought I had made it and then realized as I was working through the grind, I was like, maybe this isn't really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but in the meantime, while I was doing that, living in New York as like a, as a recent college grad, um, making a salary for the first time, but also not a high one um, and living in a high cost of living city, um, I was learning how to budget and, like, how to use what a credit card was and how to use it and what are, like, what are the rewards. Um, And then finding that I was just spending everything that I was making. Um, Not that I was accumulating any credit card debt in the process, but, um, you know, having an immigrant mom, she did tell me to save everything Mm -hmm. and spend as little as possible. And I was not living that way. Um, But I wasn't taking her advice. So I felt like I needed to pay somebody to help me with this. So at the time, I was actually a client of LearnVest, which was another very similar company. Um, And they recently, well, she, they got bought out by Northwestern Mutual. And then they kind of, they closed the doors on the one on one financial, Advising that I was getting at the time, um, but in the process, I felt like it was really transformative to have like somebody, uh, like a millennial-friendly company, and someone who was friendly but smart, um, be able to just give me, tell me what to do with my money, where to put it, how much to save here and there, um, and as I was growing in my career, I finally had the ability to like save an emergency fund, which is such a snooze fest, mm-hmm. um, but so important. I'm so obsessed with the emergency fund. Um, so about five years into my career, I married into the military, realized that I was gonna have to pivot my career um, that, so I didn't have to live in New York City um and how that there's like so many issues with military spouses being underemployed or unemployed um so while i was trying to figure that out trying to negotiate remote working opportunities with my agency that i was working with and realizing that i was kind of just hitting a brick wall um and they kind of gaslighted me and gave me an end date to leave oh. um but it was all okay because I had ten thousand dollars in my emergency fund so like f you like (laughs) I go um I can live in New York City without a paycheck um and still cover all my expenses and live my best life for a little while until I figure out what's next um and in that moment I realized that that gave me such an extreme calm um dealing with that bad work situation um and it gave me the ability to um I spent, I spent six weeks in New York, um, just, I called it fun employed, (laughs) Uh, reaching out to all of my connections that I would made over time and networking and um, finally living that entrepreneur dream of like working out of hotel lobbies and looking important. Um, And in the meantime, I got some consulting gigs from it. Like I just got to approach that situation from a point of power. um, And then I felt passionate that everyone should be able to do that. So I met some I met someone who was leaving their job to go work for the financial gym, and at the time I was like, oh, well, I can help with market research, like, I can share my plan that I got with LearnVest and just, like, meet the team, and it turned into an unintentional job interview, and we all hit it off great, and I said, hey, I'm looking for, I'm looking for remote working opportunities, like, are you hiring trainers, and would you ever hire someone to work remotely? And two weeks later, they called. They're like, "Hey, were you serious about that? Because you need to come in, and we got to teach you everything." <laughs> that's <laughs> so awesome. That's how that's how I got with the gym um, in terms of qualifications and what we're like. How to become a financial trainer? Um, you know, there's a lot of there's like a lot of mystique, and um, we call it. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz kind of thing when it comes to investing, and um, a lot of And, like, that's very valid for probably, like, 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, a lot of basic personal finances are things that um, we were probably supposed to be taught at home or at school, and that's just not part of part of it. Um, so a lot of us just need the basics. Uh, a lot of what I coach clients with is probably similar to like, you know, your grand grandma's, um, advice to like save and uh, save, pay yourself first. Um, don't carry credit card debt, like those types of things. Um, so when we're looking for and looking, we're, when we're looking and hiring financial trainers, we're looking for someone who has compassion, empathy and a passion for personal finance and teaching others about it. Um, and we can teach the rest.
1: That's Love that. great. So say I was a new client and I'm just starting to work with you. Kind of walk me through the process of what that would look like, and what are the most important things that you touch on day from day one? Yeah. Um,
2: so the very well, I guess once you decide to become a client, because we have um, we have an initial consultation call. We call it a, a warm up call, um, and you talk to one of our lovely warm up call associates, um, and. Uh, f- they'll tell you more about the service. Once you decide, um, they'll assign you with a trainer. Um, if you're in New York City, we have a location there, so um, you can meet with you can come to the gym and meet with somebody in person, one on one. But we also have virtual cl- virtual trainers like me that help take care of clients all across the country, um, and we do it just like this over Skype or you know Zoom or Google Hangouts. Um, so the first meeting we call it the financially naked meeting uh, (laughs) um, because we don't usually talk about this kind of stuff, right? Like, it's still taboo to talk about your finances. And um, we joke, but not really joke, that we're all probably more comfortable getting physically naked with somebody than we are getting financially naked with them. Um, So we do that on the first date. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the first meeting, we... Uh, it's really meant for us to get to know each other, but we will talk through like all the specifics. So we'll um, we'll talk about like what are your account balances um, in your cash accounts, checking, savings, um, retirement. Do you have any old retirement accounts, 401ks that you? Don't really know where they are and need to track them down. Um, brokerage accounts and like educating them on what general investing looks like, too. Um, then we'll talk about debt so, student loans, if there's a mortgage, um, car loans, credit cards credit score. Um, we get a rough sense of expenses, knowing that a lot of us don't have a great idea of whatever, what our expenses are. Um, so as long as I know what the fixed, like the major ones are. And then um, I try to reserve most of the time to talk about goals. Um, so we can kind of paint the future a little bit. Uh, we'll talk short-term, medium, and long-term goals and kind of what what would you do with your time if you didn't have to work. Okay. Um, and figure out what's most important to you. And then from there, I'll, uh, I put together a plan that addresses all of those things, um, based on the goals and then based on what the client's values are. Um, and then I'll share the plan with them about a week later, we set up a second appointment and I present it to them, answer any questions. And, um, that's where a lot of the, financial literacy and education comes in Mm because I can tell you to open this thing and all the um, but I can also help them understand like the alphabet soup of all the acronyms that are out there and Mm -hmm. what all those terms mean um, in a very like it's a very non-judgmental and (laughs) and compassionate environment Um, From there, if they do the monthly membership, um, you'll get like a little nudge from me every couple of weeks just to check in and see like, hey, did you do those tasks that we talked about? Um, And then on a quarterly basis, we'll have another official meeting where um, I'll run their transactions. We'll talk through spending activity and then um, work on more, um, more targeted and tactical goals to work on to get to their goals.
1: That's awesome.
2: I
0: love that. So what is... I'm sure you might have been anticipating this question. For for a young millennial and an older millennial like Shay and I, you know, I'm 25 and Shay is 35. What do you think... Almost 35. Almost 35. Close enough. It's in the calendar year. (laughs) Shay is upset that I have aged her more than Mm -hmm. she is. Um, (laughs) But I'm just wondering because our audience is kind of mixed. So like for... What do you think would be kind of some of the the goals that you've maybe heard from your clients or other millennials on the younger end of the spectrum versus the older end of the spectrum? And, you know, what are some of maybe for the younger people things that they can do so that they're not setting themselves up for maybe pitfalls that you see with some of your older millennial clients?
2: yeah. So, you know, honestly, it's really different um, with every person, like personal finance is really personal. Um, I can tell you, I have we have clients of all different shapes or sizes. So I've got clients with, um, well, I've got clients as young as 18 years old, and as old as 72 years old. And I also have clients with negative dollars in their bank account. And then I have clients with 3 million in assets. Um, And the most it's funny, or I don't know if it's funny, it's interesting how the emotions are all the same around the money, regardless of how many zeros are, you know, are there. Um, I think the biggest, the The biggest difference or the most common goals that I'm seeing with clients um, on the younger spectrum, they're coming out of school or um, they're just they're just kind of hitting their stride with their careers and starting to make real money. Um, But. Looking at their accounts and wondering where all their money went, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so they don't have a lot to show for um, show for where they've where they've worked so hard to get to in their career, um, and then on the older millennial spectrum is starting to think about starting to think about buying a house and having kids and like do they want to stay in the city or um, you know they or have let – lifestyle inflation kind of catch up to them. Um, So I would say for the younger millennials, it's being really intentional about about their expenses at the beginning and trying to um, get into a good habit of paying themselves first. Um, And then as you rise up the ranks, um, is trying to figure out how much it is that you want to spend. Like, what do you need um, to live your best life? And at a certain point, like, we can cap that at a certain income range. Uh, And then anything above and beyond that that you continue to earn or strive to earn is – it can be saved. And that's what continues to build their wealth over time.
1: Talk a little bit more about this phrase, paying yourself first, because you've said Mm -hmm. that a couple of times, and I think that's really – I mean – that's something that I say all the time, but I coach entrepreneurs. So that's like a little bit of a different ball game. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear what that looks like if you're talking with someone with a traditional nine to five.
2: Yeah. So paying yourself first just means um, setting aside a, a, set a set amount towards your savings account um, before you even account for your expenses. Um, so it, it, another way of Another name for it is goals-based budgeting, or some some people in the personal finance space just call it like a no-budget budget. budget. Um, so if you just if you commit to yourself that you're going to save twenty percent of your income, um, then you just carve out what twenty percent is right away. And um, best case scenario, you can you know you can split your paycheck up into two different accounts. So you Mm -hmm. can have 20% automatically go to a savings account and then just spend whatever's left over. Um, And that's the best case scenario. That's really where I like to start people because then it doesn't even feel like you're penny pinching um, Mm -hmm. because you didn't really miss that money so much if you didn't see it in your
1: checking account.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. So what do you think would be, You know, obviously knowing that everyone's goals are different and it's a personal thing but what are 3 things that you think millennials specifically should avoid or Pitfalls that you've seen with your clients that people can avoid moving forward.
2: So I think the first thing or the first pitfall when it comes to wanting to um, wanting to put together a financial plan for yourself or like give you a reason for doing it altogether um, is I think too many people don't have um, well enough defined goals or it's just too vague of what those goals are. It's either just um, I want to get out of debt or um, you know I want to I want to be a homeowner without you know, those smart goals in place or, um, like a, a personal enough goal, um, versus like one that feels imposed on you by, by your parents or by society. Um, so that's why I like to try to spend as much time as possible on helping people better define their goals and not be too vague about that. Cause if we can, um, if we can talk about that emergency fund in the context of, you know, I've had a client who wanted to take six months off of work to be able to hike the Appalachian Trail. So like that becomes a much more specific thing that we can work for. And that makes making some um, other choices in the day-to-day expenses a lot easier because you're doing it for something that you actually care about. Um, or we have a lot of we have a lot of women come and like go through our warm up call process. Um, and their inspiration for wanting to get their finances in order is that, you know, they want to get out of a bad relationship, oh, no. or they want to be able to leave a job that they hate. Or, like, all, you, they just want to have some more financial power to be able to make choices for themselves. So, yeah, the more specific we can get, the better um, in terms of goal setting and like your why. Um, other pitfall I see is some people are very, um, very upset and like emotional about being in debt, regardless of how much debt it might be. Um, We've had clients who come to us and because we don't share this openly, um, you know, someone can have $2,000 on their credit card balance and like 10 grand in student loans and feel like they're the worst person and are unworthy of love because they have this because they don't have any other context of what um, what other people's situations might be or the fact that, you know, there's just something we can do about this and it's totally okay. Um, So some people are overly concerned about being in debt, therefore throwing all of their extra cash um, to pay it down without um, without having proper savings for like unexpected things that come up but also um even just irrationally like sending all of it there and then having to cover basic expenses back on a credit card um so i think a lot of what i do is helping people reframe and reshape their relationship to their debt um and how how to like be more in control of that situation Um, some don't have. Some have too much cash. You know, you could also just be hoarding a lot of cash in your checking account or a basic savings account that's not earning any money for you. Um, and you know, doing some prop, doing some planning on like how much do I really need, and um, can some of this excess go to other places that can you know work harder for me. Um, and I would say an, the fourth thing that I think becomes an issue for millennials is um, wanting, taking on pets or <laughs> like, or kids. That's funny. Um, yeah. they're, all of them are dependents um, yeah. and um, not planning for them in your budget. Um, so yeah. <laughs> that's a common goal is I want to get a puppy. Um, so we'll have clients, you know, start a puppy fund and start mm-hmm. putting like depending on where they live, anywhere between 100 to like $300 a month into this puppy fund to help practice those future expenses of if you need a dog walker or just
1: covering unexpected expenses for them um, and just builds it into their budget. I love that you do that. Also, if you don't already recommend it to your clients, please tell everyone to get pet insurance. This was a big thing for me when I was in New York. My last year in New York, I got a dog. So there was all the normal expenses, right? Because it's New York City. So you have to get the walker and the daycare and the expensive vet and blah, blah, blah. But then as my vet later told me, New York City is a disgusting trash pile and there are just germs everywhere. So she had three different, like, you know, she had a virus and a worms and another virus uh, or a parasite and it was so bad. I mean, Had I not had this pet insurance, I think I would have ended up it, was, it would have been over five grand that I did not have. And yet people give me so much shit that I pay $50 <laughs> a month for pet insurance. Like, that's so wasteful. Why would you do that? And I'm like, uh, because it's already paid for itself over the course of her lifetime. So anyway, that's my little side story. Um, but speaking of debt, I guess a question, another question I think our listeners would be interested in, you know, I feel like I have a lot of friends who come and they're freaking out because they're like, well, my life is over because I have all this student, student loan debt. And I understand why that's frustrating to have to pay that out every month. But I think a lot of, you know, every, your day to day-to-day millennial doesn't really have any concept of like good debt versus bad debt. So I'd love if you could speak to that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. So, um, I feel like a phrase that I'm always talking, I'm always saying with clients who are stressed about their student loan debt is there's no trophy for paying it off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, unlike, you know, unlike other types of debt, right? Like a mortgage or even like, um, like a revolving line of credit like a credit card Um, you pay it back but it gives it gives you some flexibility or some flexibility is built in for you to access that again if you needed it but for student loans you've already maxed out all of the the benefits of having that debt because you have a degree that enables you to make money that enables you to like get to the next stage in life Um, and we focus a lot on how do we make the student loan payment um, as um, how do we fit that monthly payment into your budget so you can always make it no problem um, and stay in good standing with it and make sure that that's not getting in the way of getting to other goals or other things that you want to do with your life cuz like all of that is done. We just need to make sure you can afford to pay for it. Um so that is yeah, that's a common thing that I'm always telling people is if they don't have if they don't have an emergency fund in place um and if they have credit card debt or other high interest debt um, those are definitely going to be a higher priority for us to take care of before we start sending any extra money to the student loans i love
1: that
0: yeah i think that's no i think that's a that's a good point because i feel like i have like i was just talking to a friend recently and she was like oh i would love to live in New York and her student loan payment is like $300 a month or something like that. And she was like, if I didn't have the student loan payment, I could afford the difference in rent between like where she lives and New York. And like, mm-hmm. I didn't really have I am going to send her this episode. Um, Cause I feel <laughs> like she needs the financial gym. Cause like what I said, which I feel like is kind of what you're saying, joy is like you, you can do both. Like you can come up with a plan so that you can still fit the student loan payment into your life and if your goal is to move to New York, you can still move to New York and it you, you don't have to give up on your life and be like a sad spinster and put all your money to student loans until they're paid off
1: just yeah. because,
0: you know, and I feel like a lot of people do that. They limit themselves and they're like, oh, I could never move to New York. It's so expensive without even looking at, well, what is your budget now versus like what better job could you get in New York? Where could you start a new york savings fund so that when you get there it would be better like people just wait until they have to react to make a life choice or they wait until life happens to them and then they just deal with it as opposed to making a plan so i think that's where something like the financial gym is really great
1: yeah so i have one final question maddie unless you have more questions no yeah go for it so have you ever had a client, or is there one thing that, if you saw in their financial kind of landscape, you'd be like, "Oh fuck, like yeah. I can't help you with this"?
2: No, I think um, I think anything that's financial is fixable. It's I just love that. like how uncomfortable are you willing to get, or like what do we need to do? Yeah. As um, long as you're not and... like
0: laundering money, Breaking Bad style, or something like that.
2: Exactly. <laughs> I well, I think another piece of the puzzle that we don't think enough about or it doesn't come naturally when we're when we're having the budgeting discussion is the income side too because some people just don't make enough Mm -hmm. and i do have clients who are like a direct um like they experience the wage gap and um you know unconscious bias and all of those things um very in a very real way so um some are just underemployed and never, have never been told that they need to make more or they need to go find another job um, or have never been told exactly what they need to make to be able to make their ideal life work. Um, so that's another aspect of the plan that I put together for them is you're telling me you wanna do all of these things. So if we did all of this and we didn't cut a single penny from the way that you spend right now, here's your salary. And sometimes it's not a crazy amount to shoot for. Um, and I think that that's really helped a lot of women because, you know, the idea of salary negotiation, I think one, we're not taught how to do it, but, and we get penalized for doing it as women, um, more so than men, but also we don't have enough clarity on exactly what it is that we're looking for. Um, So I find it's really helpful when I put together a budget for them based on their goals and like the abundance of what we actually want in life and assign like, okay, for your your dream salary is eighty five thousand dollars a year. And like that's a very feasible salary for someone who's college educated and lives in a big city or or not like doesn't matter. Here's what it is, go get it. And we've had so many people um, because they were given a salary to go go shoot for, they went and got it. Um, so everything is fixable, um, and there are some there are some sad cases or, like pretty rough situations that we see in those first couple of meetings um but if they stick with it and um are are committed to it it never ends sad
0: yay that's great um all right well shall we jump into the rapid fire questions yes the
1: archery range so joy we're going to ask you a series of questions just answer whatever comes to your mind first um and it'll be the things like favorite book, doesn't have to be your top favorite book. Um, but this just helps us kind of place you even more in the millennial spectrum. So cool. All right, here we go. Well, did you have any final comments before we close the interview? Um well
2: I don't think so. I think we covered everything. Um, I can give a plug. So like, if you want to learn more about the financial gym, um, please go to our website where financial gym.com and the financial gym across Instagram and other social media platforms, um, and schedule a free 20 minute, um, up call to talk to one of our lovely people. Um, they are not incentivized to, um, to sell you any memberships Uh, they just want to hear um they just want to learn more about you and answer questions um about our service to see if it's going to be a good fit for you or not so um if you want to learn more there's nothing to lose there um and um what is it we have we have a A lot of lovely trainers that you can work with. You can um, read about all of us in our bios on the website and, you know, request someone special. Or um, the warm-up callers will also um, have the ability to assign somebody based on what they hear from you in that initial consultation. Awesome.
1: All right. Archery range it is. Favorite book? I've been reading Michelle, Michelle
2: Obama's Becoming. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not finished yet, but I've gotten, I got so many people recommending it to me. So I finally read it and, um, it's put me in this really like presidential mindset. <laughs> I love it. Of, I read week. it. I
0: loved it. <laughs> uh, favorite movie.
2: Oh, I love, this, this is weird, but it's coming to mind. I love runaway bride. Ooh, <laughs> oh yeah.
0: So good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, great moral of the <laughs> story. Yeah. Uh, favorite childhood snack. I loved. Oh, I don't know.
2: Can we skip that one? Sure. sure. <laughs> favorite TV show. Um. Oh, I love TV so much. <laughs> um, well, what I've been watching this past week was have you i love those decade shows
0: that were you CNN watching the does. 2000s
2: i was watching the 2000s i was, it was watching so it fascinating too. so good i felt like i was just reliving middle school and high school and it was giving <laughs> yeah. me lots of warm feelings except for those like very there are some that were kind of grimacing
0: yeah grimacing
2: the entire time that quagmire won but
0: yeah <laughs> oh my Gosh. no i love those cnn decade shows i like eat them up but the 2001 definitely a lot of millennial culture tidbits in that one yeah it's good
1: uh favorite place you've lived or no favorite place you've visited that you haven't lived oh
2: let's see I um where did I go I really enjoyed I really enjoyed Seattle my um, what my college roommate moved there out of the out of a whim and <laughs> love visiting her there.
0: Awesome. That's Yay. awesome. Favorite financial guru, if you have one. Well, um You can also pass or say yourself. <laughs> I like our advice that we get. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Um, I will pass. I (laughs) think you
0: got well, I'll say the financial gym because I really like your (laughs) guys' social media and stuff. I think it's it's good tidbits and very digestible and easy to follow. All right. Well, I think that's all I have. Um,
1: Joy, can you just one last time just like shout out the website and the social media?
2: Yeah, so um, our website is financialgym.com and we are most active on Instagram. So we are the financial gym on Instagram.
0: Excellent. Awesome.
1: Wonderful. Thank Yay, you so awesome. much. Thank you so yeah. much, Joy. This was such a treat and I really am excited for, I have like six people I want to send this episode <laughs> already. So, and since the financial gym, so. Yes.
2: No, lots of fun. Um, we have, you know, there's content there to eat up too. So. Awesome. Amazing. All right. All right,
0: thank you
1: Joy. All right, campers.
0: Yeah. We'll see you next week. Yes. And shall we plug next week's episode oh, yeah. will be What's that? a very special one with Olivia Christian. Oh yeah. Who? Olivia Christian. Runs a very special program called Own Your Story um that I participated in and we'll go through it more then but um i shared the story that i created from the own your story workshop at the girl boss rally on a previous episode so i'm really really jazzed to talk to her because she's great yay, yay. awesome thanks, thanks for listening camp adulthood is hosted by maddie Yerge, resident youth and shay keats camp adulthood we are produced by jenny mayfield and this episode was recorded in maddie's living room You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at camp adulthood. Hey campers. Maddie here, here to tell you about the new listener survey that just launched. There's also a prize component, which I'll go through at the end of this plug. Shay and I launched the listener survey for a variety of reasons, one of which is that we want to give you guys the opportunity to provide anonymous feedback on the show so that we can make it that much better and so that you come back week after week. We are also exploring new monetization opportunities, like potentially approaching advertisers. And we want to know, you know, who's listening? What types of people? What are you interested in? Things like this. So we are collecting just basic demographic information, you know, to make the podcast better and to have a sense of who we're talking to every week. You can find the survey all over our social media. It's all over those links and bios. We've been posting about it. You can also DM us or send us an email, hello at campadulthood.com, and we'll send you the link right to your inbox. Super easy. You don't even have to search for it. It's also in a link in the show notes to this episode, so you can open that up on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now. And again, it's super easy, two to three minutes. We really appreciate it. It's a great free way to support the podcast. And again, to give us the opportunity to provide you the content that you really crave and to take your feedback into account. As a thank you for participating, we are having a raffle. Very exciting. Like I said, the Uh, survey is completely anonymous, so if you want to remain anonymous, totally fine. We love the feedback, just the same. But if you do want to be uh, put in for the raffle, which the prize is a free t-shirt, very exciting, Camp Adulthood Swags, there is an opportunity to put your email in at the end of the survey. We are only collecting this email so that we can contact you in the event that you win the raffle. We are not going to send you emails or spam you or sell your email or anything crazy. Um, Again, it's just a thank you and just an incentive to take the survey, which we really appreciate. We are getting new merch sued, so look out for that. Um, and the swag as the prize will be a t shirt, the new t shirt, new and improved, new logo, and everything. So even if you have our old merch, you definitely want to give yourself the opportunity to potentially win this new t shirt as well. So, again, thank you guys. Um, it really means a lot to Shay and I that you keep coming back listening. Week after week, it really means the world, and we appreciate you guys taking the survey. Thanks, campers.